That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. UVA okay. football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. They wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. All right, everybody, and welcome back to the Guys and Ties podcast. We are back. We took a week off, but we are back and hopefully better than ever. You've got me, Robert Elder, here with Dustin Jones. Dustin, how are you today? You know what? Last week, I felt really bad because it was my fault that we couldn't record. My voice was gone because I gave it to the Who's for their win over Miami. And I think uh, it was worth it, but unfortunately, couldn't record. And... I'm sorry. That's all I have to say. <laughs> but we're back, and uh, hopefully we're going to have a really good episode for you. So buckle in, man. We're we're ready to go. It's a good way to say we didn't have an episode because we were just cheering too hard. We cared about the team too much. That That is what happened. I don't. There is no other reason yeah. why I lost my voice. I it, mean, it was because I, like, probably about halfway through the game, I was like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> my voice is already gone. <laughs> But it was so it was such an exciting game, and I was so excited for the win. And we are going to get right into that. And I think I, we want to start off by talking about that win against Miami. And I know that everyone has probably already know uh, dove deep into the details about it, but I think what me and Rob are going to talk about is the game experience and the fan experience. So, Rob, what was your fan experience during the game? I mean, it was awesome. You know, I've been going to games for almost 15 years now i think back to like some of the big games that i've been to dating back to even when we used to fill the stadium up you know our record i was at the usc game i think it was 2008 you know 64,000 people Mm -hmm. and even with 40,000 in attendance and that might be a stretch on that miami game i mean that was one of the coolest atmospheres i've ever seen Mm -hmm. like just the excitement i mean there's so much passion and love for the game that our team is showing. It's just awesome to see. Yeah. Like, is that kind of what you were thinking? Yeah, it felt it felt different than a lot of the games that you know I've been used to going to over the years. A lot of the times, the students were the ones who really fell flat, especially during our time at UVA during the peak London era. Absolutely. You know? And by peak, I mean not peak. Like I mean Valley London era. <laughs> the va- yeah, but. You know, the students were always the ones who didn't show up. They didn't stay the whole time. But this time, I thought the students did a really, really good job of staying the whole time. They were shaking those pom-poms the entire game. And they were doing it in unison. It looked really, really cool from where we, we were in the student section, like over to the left, to the left of the band, or to the right of the band if you're facing it. But, I mean, the students were shaking those things the whole time. And 
that's something that would not have happened a couple years ago. I mean, everyone was into it. I mean, yeah. one of my favorite moments, I don't know what the song was, the rap song. Swag surfing. Yeah. yeah. No, when they played that and just like the whole team was into it. Yeah. Like I caught videos, but it didn't do justice. No. Like how cool that moment was just to like see our guys so excited to see our fans so excited. Yeah. And I mean, that was absolutely a signature win, even though we always beat Miami at home, right. you know, we've won four of the past five games against mm-hmm. Miami and at Scott stadium, which is kind of crazy. But I mean, just to have that energy, like number 16 team, you know, we rushed the field. That mm-hmm. was awesome. It was just awesome. Like it was just an awesome night. Yeah. It was weird because, you know, you don't think about rushing the field for a number 16 team. Like that's not something that usually happens, but I think that the students were hyped the whole time. The team was really excited. Everyone just, the atmosphere really kind of fed into it. And it was not unreasonable to do at that time. It was kind of like a coming out party for this team. You know what it reminded me of was not to the same extent, but that Syracuse basketball game we had our first year. And that was kind of like the coming out party of for Tony Bennett and this basketball team. We've arrived. We secured the outright regular season championship. Obviously, there was a lot more at stake that game than yeah. a and middle October. Like ranked in the top five or something. Yeah, it was something like that. But yeah. it, it had that same feel like, hey, like, I don't want to say we've arrived by any stretch because mm-hmm. there's a lot still to be determined, which yeah. we're going to get into later in the show. But it had that feel, that passion, that energy that was kind of like, hey, like, this is like a true stamp signature type win. Right. Yeah, no, it was... It was definitely the biggest win of Broncos' career. I mean, Boise last year was good too. Uh, the first road win, road win against you and oh no, it was, it was Duke. Duke. It was Duke, yeah, a couple but years. But we were ago. also what like one and that was we yeah. went to like one and three, one and yeah. four because of that, something like that. No, but but th- this was a win that will hopefully define the rest of the program. Is like the win that really changed the team's mentality and the the fans' mentality as well. And hopefully, we see some of this carry over uh, next week. Uh, when we play UNC at home. And I really, really hope that the fans come out and support the team because they're they're playing incredible. And we're going to get into the Duke game. I'm excited to be a UVA football fan again. It is not basketball season yet. It is still football season. <laughs> and right. that doesn't. I do not say that lightly. And I think a big part of this, too, is what we want to transition into. We're recording this on Sunday, uh, roughly 4 o'clock. And yesterday I thought was a huge step. Duke... You know, we've won the past four games against Duke, but it also had the feel of, hey, like this could be a letdown type of game. You know, you come off a big signature win against Miami, and all of a sudden you go to Duke. The attendance was 20,000, which I think was very, very, very generous. It looked like there was about 400 people in the I mean, like the Ohio game probably rivaled it as far as attendance (laughs) went. I mean, people don't care at all about football in Durham. I feel bad for David Cutcliffe because of that, because he's actually done a tremendous job there. Wait, I I want to say something. Rob and I were talking about this yesterday, and the SB Nation version of Duke, it's like the streaking the lawn for Virginia, but the SB Nation what's website website yeah for Duke is called the Duke Basketball Report, and this is the the site that covers all Duke sports, all yeah. Duke sports. It's called the Duke Basketball Report. Yeah. So they we, don't care about football. We thought it, we thought it was funny, but, but it was it, you know it had the makings of a letdown type of game. You know you're gonna go there, there's gonna be no energy. You're gonna have mm-hmm. to create your own energy, and Duke was a good team. You know mm-hmm. Daniel Jones. It's funny people think of him as a first round pick. And the NFL, we certainly haven't seen that watching Virginia, watching him against Virginia. Although you can tell he's got great, you know, quarterback attributes. Mm -hmm. But 
it had that type of feel. Duke's a good team. They were what four and one, five and one entering mm-hmm. that game. I mean, that was a big coastal game. And Virginia came in, and while there was some iffiness towards the end, you know, when it was twenty to fourteen, and we had to punt to them in the fourth quarter, they came, and we really controlled the whole game. And it was one of the more impressive and complete performances I've seen, not just this season, but dating back. Yeah. A- while five plus years yeah i mean you got to give credit to the defense on this one because the defense really stood out and held their own especially when rob and i were watching it at a bar and when we punted to them in the third quarter and it was 20 to 14 and we, we were both like <laughs> oh hmm. oh no it was actually in the fourth quarter but but we both looked at each other like this does not this does not feel good but you know lester coleman got off a good punt the defense got three tackles for loss, two sacks, and they punted back to us, and that was basically the end of the game right there. So. I mean, the defense was awesome. You know, yeah. there was one play where I think it was Joey Blunt. He bid on the underneath route when they got that touchdown. Mm-hmm. That happens, and that's what happens when you play a coach like David Cutcliffe. Those type of offensive designs are designed to beat you like that, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, it only happened once, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the defense, you know, it's – Chris Peace, two and a half sacks. Uh, Eli Hamback had a sack. Uh, Charles Snowden got in there. And the defensive backfield, we had two interceptions, both very impressive. I mean, we need to start talking about Bryce Hall as one of the elite defenders in the ACC. Mm-hmm. That man is awesome. I, I think I read something that he has either the most or he's second for uh, passes defended in the country. Not just the ACC, but the country. So. That tells you what kind of player he's turned into. He was a two-star recruit. Virginia was the the best school that offered him, and that's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. And now he is one of the best defenders in the country. He's on people's radars for NFL draft talk. I mean, he's really come a long, long way. And that has got to be credit to the coaching staff and how they have developed him. Yeah. I mean, we also got to talk about the rushing defense. When I was doing a little bit of research ahead of uh... – recording this morning we were looking into some things and one thing that i hadn't even thought about was just how good the rush defense was yesterday i mean we limited them to 58 net yards rushing which some of that's a bit obscured because of the sacks but even if you eliminate the sacks 89 yards we allowed on the ground i mean duke is a legitimate good rushing team they've got two good running backs daniel jones as you saw yesterday can move a little bit as well i mean that was as complete a defensive performance as we've seen maybe since Miami and then from Miami Mm -hmm. since, you know, several years, it was really, really complete effort. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird because we keep talking about how this defensive line is depleted and they're the worst unit on the team, but they have been showing us up and, you know, they had four sacks yesterday on Daniel Jones and they really stuffed that run. And I'm really impressed with how they've stood up in spite of all the injuries that they've had. Yeah, you know, the depth isn't really there, mm-hmm. but we've schemed around that. We've had, thankfully, guys like Matt Gam, Elliot Brown, they've come in and we can kind of play those, quote, NASCAR packages where you put all the speedy rushers on the field. So that can, way we can give them a little bit of a break. You know, this is just so much credit to Bronco and the defensive coaching staff. I mean, we have two true freshmen in that rotation and both of them have played outstanding and Jordan Redman was on a preseason midway point or not preseason but an ESPN like midseason all-american team for freshmen mm-hmm. you know these guys have come to play Vic Sohoto is 
awesome. You know, you got to love him, the way he's worked these guys and just the energy he brings to the field. He's great. He brings all the energy. Right after the offense come off, he's he's like one of the first people to go congratulate them after a score or something. So he's awesome. I, I don't know. I hope he never leaves. He's great. He's <laughs> incredible. But there's so much, not to mention, he just brought in Ben Smiley too. Yeah. And that's now, if, you know, as official as it'll get before we put pen to paper. Yeah. So speaking of Ben Smiley, there's a highlight of him that I saw this morning of him absolutely destroying a quarterback and forcing a fumble. Like he, I think he was unblocked and he just came through and the quarterback disappears into the ground. It is really awesome get excited excited about this d-line folks i'm excited for him get excited about this not just this year but next year and the year after there's a lot of optimism here i think that's just kind of the theme of this episode with the football team it's optimism and there's a lot of reason to be optimistic and we're going to dive into it but you know you look all of a sudden it's a four-way race in the coastal and we have tiebreakers over miami and duke i think we'll probably have to beat virginia tech if We'll, we'd have to take care of business before we get to Virginia Tech. Right, yeah. But you're going to have to beat Virginia Tech most likely to get to the ACC title game. But it's even incredible we're sitting here talking about the ACC title game right, right now, that there is a legitimate path to get there. Usually at this point, we're already looking at next season and being like, all right, well, who who are we going to have next season and what's going to happen? But we're looking, we're sticking to this season. And I want to talk about the race for the top of the coastal real quick, because really it's between Virginia to controls their own destiny. Tech controls their own destiny. Miami needs some help to win, and Duke's going to need some help to win it now. And I think those are basically the four teams who really have a chance at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one that we're going to focus on right now, besides Virginia, is Virginia Tech. And their schedule to win or to close out the season kind of rivals what Virginia looks like. So Tech plays Georgia Tech at home, Boston College at home, at Pittsburgh, Miami at home, and then UVA at home. And four of, the, four of their last five games are at home, so that's a huge plus for them. And they play some teams that are kind of in the middle. So I think to give Virginia a real boost, I think losing one or hopefully two of those games would really help out UVA. But I, you know, I'm looking at this schedule, and I don't see two losses for Virginia Tech there. In other words, we're going to have to beat Virginia Tech. Right. Which, right. you know, it's great. We're talking about it like in this sense as opposed to, hey, we're going to be five and... Six, you know, can we get bowl eligible by beating Virginia Tech? That's happened many times. So now it's awesome to talk about this game. And, you know, we got to take care of business first. But it's awesome to talk about this game and look ahead and be like, hey, there actually might be some legitimate Mm -hmm. implications here, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, we've got UNC at home next week, Pitt at home uh, the week after on Friday. Be fun. And then Liberty at home before two away games to close the season at Georgia Tech and at Virginia Tech. So it's going to be a really interesting end of the season, and I'm excited for it. I'm ready. To, we should be. I'm ready to go. And with that, that is our high level overview, what we're thinking about here uh, as we record. And with that, I think it's a great time to bring in a very special guest, Jeff White of VirginiaSports.com. Jeff White's been around the UVA beat for as long as I can remember. Being with VirginiaSports.com, he's also just got unrivaled access to the team our coaches uh he's got a lot of great insight and we're really excited to bring him to the program yes so with that let's give him a call let's do it all right and we have jeff white of virginiasports.com on the line jeff we're excited to get you on the guys and ties podcast how are you doing good thank you for having me so obviously you're around the program a lot 
And I guess first, before we dive into football, we just love for you to just give like a quick, you know, what should we know about Jeff White? Well, I graduated from UVA back in the dark ages in 1985, pre-internet, pre-cell phone. But uh, have I grew up or graduated from high school in Maryland. I came to Charlottesville in 1980. I moved in the late 80s to Richmond, uh, where I worked in the newspaper business, uh, for first the Richmond News Leader and then the Richmond Times Dispatch. <clears throat> I was a sports writer there. I started off covering high schools, then I moved into covering colleges, first VCU, then I covered Virginia Tech for two years in the late 90s, then I moved to the UVA beat in 2000 or 2001. My wife and I and our kids moved back to the Charlottesville area in 2001. So for eight years, I covered UVA for the Times-Dispatch while living up here. My wife is a UVA graduate as well, and she uh, she grew up in the area. Her dad was a professor at UVA. I covered UVA for the TD f- until 2009 when the athletic department here created a position for me, you know, writing stories and producing content for virginiasports.com. So I made the switch in, in 2009 uh, that summer and have been here ever since. Wonderful. Well, we're glad that you're here with us right now. The first thing that we want to ask you about is the Duke game that happened yesterday. And kind of if you could just give us your overall takeaway from the game and how Virginia fans should be feeling uh, after the game. Yeah, I mean, I think people should feel really good about where the program is. You know, I think it's important to note that, you know, this is not a dominant. This program is not really at a stage yet where it can go in and just dominate opponents. I mean, some games are going to be some wins will be more one sided than others. But the margin for error remains small right now in this stage of of the building program that Coach Mendenhall is doing. But, you know, there's there's definite progress. And, you know, if people are watching closely or not even that closely. I mean, you can see it, you know, not only in terms of the wins, but, you know, how the team is playing. You know, I think the team played markedly better last season than it did in Broncos' first season. And I think it's playing a lot better this year than it did last year, even though the record, I think the record is the same right now after seven games. I'd have mm-hmm. to check that. You know, so I, I think there's improved. The, the record right now is the same. Obviously, there, there are a lot of opportunities left to get more wins and surpass last year's victory total. But I think what's most important is the fact that the team is playing better. The defense is really coming along. I think the offense has taken big strides. And and yesterday was an important game down in Durham, you know, for reasons that the coaches and players talked about after the game, you know, namely that coming off a big emotional win, like the one Virginia had against Miami the week before, you know, there's the danger of a letdown and, you know, nothing like that happened yesterday. The team came out, you know, really strong, took a 14, nothing lead into halftime, you know, continued to battle even when Duke made the inevitable comeback and then, and then found a way to, to win at the end of the game. So, you know, I thought, I thought that was a really big step forward and, and anytime you can win on the road in the ACC, you know, that's impressive too. You, you don't want to be a team whose performances fluctuate dramatically, you know, based on where you're playing the game. You know, ideally you're going to be the same, kind of the same team no matter where you're playing. Even though obviously playing at home, there, there's, it's nice to play in front of your fans and that can help. But, you know, good teams don't rely on the support of their fans, you know, to help them get through a game. We, you know, we've seen that 
most notably with the the men's basketball program in Virginia. I mean, under Tony Bennett, UVA has been a fantastic road team, and I think that's a, a tremendous attribute for a team in any sport to have. Yeah, exactly. And one thing Dustin and I have been talking about is that it had yesterday kind of had the feel of what could have been a letdown game coming off of Miami, and then you go to Duke where the attendance was generally listed as twenty thousand. You know, you kind of have to create your own energy. And that's something that I think culturally you've seen with this program. And I think it contributed at the end, you know, when there could have been a little bit of hope of a Duke comeback that Virginia stopped them three plays in a row. You know, just being around the team, is that something that like you can feel that maybe wasn't there two years ago? Just Yeah, I mean, two years ago, I mean, it's such a cliche in sports to talk about changing the culture. I mean, every new coach who comes in, says that and and i think to varying degrees they all do that or try to do that but you know i mean again i'm gonna draw some comparisons between tony bennett and bronco mendenhall and and they're different coaches you know they do things differently but there are a lot of striking similarities between the two of them you know whether bronco will have the same success in football that tony has had in basketball we'll just have to see i mean i think there are some hurdles that exist in football for Virginia that may not exist in basketball. But anyway, you know, I think there's a real, there was a real change of culture. I think Bronco does things differently than the majority of coaches do in his sport. And the same is true for Tony Bennett in basketball. And, you know, you've got some guys who bought some of the, you've got players that a new coach inherits some of whom buy in totally right away. Some don't buy in at all and they leave the program. Others are kind of wishy-washy. You know, you had the guys like Dante Wilkins and Micah Kaiser and Quinn Blanding, Jackson Mateo, Matt Johns that first year who just, you know, absolutely embraced Broncos philosophy. But it was still a trying year. I mean, it was two and 10. There were a couple games that could have gone the other way, but it ended on an extraordinarily sour note with that one-sided loss in Blacksburg. So, you know, I think anybody looking at it from the outside, you know, you could raise questions about the direction of the program after that first season. I think looking at it internally, you know, and and being able to go to practices like I was and, and see how the players were responding to the coaches. I was a little more optimistic about it, but still ultimately you're judged by the wins and losses in any sport. So I think the attitude was starting to change that first year. I think last year, more guys bought into it. There was a better uh, integration of the coaches philosophy, you know, by the players into what they were doing. But I think this season's different. I think, you know, there was a sense last year, when the team became bowl eligible by beating Georgia Tech, that, you know, that that was the, you know, that that was kind of the ultimate goal of the season. And I don't know if they really let up in the second half of the season because the schedule down the stretch was really hard. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even if they played better, they might not have won those games. But I, I just think these guys have learned lessons from what happened last year. They know that, you know, they want to do more than just become bowl eligible. They're not going to be satisfied with six wins. You know, they want to do more than that in the regular season. They want to beat Virginia tech, you know, and they want to win their bowl game. So I think the internal, goals and expectations among the players have gone up this year. Uh, And I think they learned some lessons from what happened last year and know that, you know, that's not, that's not the end, the end goal to just get to six wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love what you said about changing the culture of the team. 
But I think something else that I've, I know I've talked about with people, but Rob and I also t- discussed it earlier in the episode is changing the culture of the fans and the fan base. And I think with the win against Miami a couple weeks ago, we could see a slight shift in the change of the fan base and the students also. And I'm wondering if you noticed that as well, just kind of how the fans stayed interested in the game the whole time and really, I, I think, helped the team win the Miami game. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely did. And, and I mean, that was that was a, a definite factor in the game. The, the Bronco commented on that afterwards. Players commented on it. I mean, several things were in favor of that in that game. I mean, the late start, students mm-hmm. traditionally like the later starts. You know, the game was still close at halftime, which is good because, you know, I've seen instances where either Virginia is out of a game at halftime and people leave or I think in the Richmond game this year, you know, it was, it was a warm day if memory serves and it was one sided at halftime. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, a fair amount of students left because they kind of figured the game was going to end the way it did. And mm-hmm. and this was the perfect storm, I think, with with a close game against a nationally ranked team at night and people stuck it out. But that, that absolutely makes a difference. You know, I think I think it's just a slow process. I know some people get frustrated with the attendance and but the fact is that, you know, if a team wins a big game, you know, you'd you'd love for there to be a rush to the ticket office and suddenly like 15,000 more seats sold, you know, because you meet Miami. But I, that's just not mm-hmm. realistic. I think it's an incremental thing. We we saw it in basketball. If you if you go look at the attendance figures at JPJ early in Tony Bennett's tenure, it, it didn't really take off till year four. I think it was mm-hmm. where all this game started selling out and it kind of became the thing to do. So, you know, I just hope it continues in that direction. I know the 12-20 start against North Carolina is probably not ideal mm-hmm. in the eyes of students, but you know it's still doable, and hopefully they turn out. And then there's the Friday night game on November 2nd against Pitt, which yeah. you know I think ought to have a really good atmosphere for that. But the students are absolutely students and fans are are a big part of this, and you know I can remember covering da- games when you know, UVA routinely drew 55,000 plus yeah. for games and particularly for big games. And uh, it can be a really intimidating venue for opposing teams when it's full because mm-hmm. it, it gets loud in there. And, you know, I just, I hope that happens again. And I think it will. I mean, there's a great chance to, you know, make that progress over the next five weeks. And that's one thing Dustin and I were talking about is, are we crazy to be looking ahead and say, hey, it might be a two-horse race between Virginia and Virginia Tech and the Coastal? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a little too early to say because the Coastal is just kind of a crazy league. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 you know, the opportunity is certainly there. But I think there's a danger for this team, too, to, like, as, as I said early on, the margin for error for this team remains really small. I mean, we mm-hmm. saw we saw that in the Miami game. I mean, yesterday, you know, it's 20 to 14. If the defense doesn't step up and get those two sacks and a tackle for loss, you know, Duke could very well have driven for a touchdown and been up 21-20. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is uh, other than, I guess, the Boise State game last year and then the Louisville game this year, you know, there have not been a lot of blowouts. Uh, and I don't think this team is really, you know, prepared to blow a lot of teams out yet. I think that day is coming. You know, I think this team, as good as it is this season and can be, I think next year, 
you know, is the year where I see the program really taking a big step forward, you know, in terms of, of you know, just how, how potent it can be on the team, on the field. Is there anything you think we should be looking out for over the next five games, players to watch, kind of storylines to follow, just kind of anything that you think will have an impact over the way the next five games go? You know, I think that uh, one player to watch is Tavares Kelly, and uh, we saw what he could do on punt returns yesterday. He's mm-hmm. he's fearless. He's very difficult to bring down. I think because of his fearlessness, uh, you know, occasionally that could lead him into <laughs> risky decisions on when to field the ball, mm-hmm. when to field a punt, and when to take off. But I I think the coaches are, you know, trying to figure out how to take advantage of his breakaway ability in the in the context of the offense as well as on special teams but you know he was really one of the stars of training camp and you know coming out of training camp if you'd asked me on the offensive side you know who had the best training camp among the skilled people other than than Bryce Perkins I would have said Alameda Zacchaeus Hasis Dubois and Tavares Kelly and and Alameda and Hasis have been you know, integral parts of the offense from the opening game. And they've been fantastic. Tavares has had a little bit more of an adjustment to the college game. And I think, you know, it's just a result of the coaches trying to figure out how to best take advantage of his skill set. But but he's got speed that really nobody else on the team has. I mean, I know Bryce is fast and elusive, but if I had to put money on somebody in a flat out sprint on this team, it would be Tavares Kelly. Mm -hmm. What, you know, we just talked about something to look for and maybe, uh, we can flip it a little bit and say, what, what's something that you think the team needs to work on going into uh, the UNC and the Pitt and the Liberty games? You know, uh, continue to work on avoiding turnovers. And that, that, that can be kind of hard to predict. But Bryce Perkins made really good decisions, I thought, yesterday. And, you know, if you play a clean game in football, I think that just dramatically increases your chances of winning or, or being in it. I mean, we've seen that time and again. I mean, not so much this year, but, you know, in years past, the interceptions thrown by UVA quarterbacks have, have just really set the program back and, and really hurt the chances of winning these games. So, you know, I think, you know, a storyline to watch, which is hard to predict and a little bit out of the, the team's control are is injuries. You know, when you get a guy hurt at a position where you have some depth, sometimes you don't feel it much. If it's kind of the wrong position, that can have a, you know, a major impact on the team. And I mean, there have been injuries, you know, on this team, but, you know, to date, I think they've weathered those, you know, crises pretty well. And and hopefully they can continue to do that. But, uh, you know, that can just change so quickly. So hopefully everybody keeps, uh, everybody remains healthy and keeps going on that front. But I just think, you know, the thing to watch, they they can't get ahead of themselves. I think there's a tendency, you know, I know you, you look at this home, this three game homestand Mm -hmm. coming up and and you've got two teams with losing records and then you have Liberty. So it's really easy to say, wow, you know, we should win all three games and then we're, you know, we're eight and two at that point. But when you start thinking like that, I think you set yourself up for a fall. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the challenge for the coaches and the leaders on the team, I think, are to just keep everyone focused on the next game. You know, treat every opponent seriously. Don't get sucked into the record. I I think you can look at North Carolina and see the one and five record and not be impressed. But, you know, you can look more closely and see that that the Tar Heels are getting better and they played a couple teams close recently and and easily could have beaten Syracuse yesterday. So if you take a team like that for granted, I think you can be in trouble. And then I guess any star 
not not necessarily star, but any players that have just kind of surprised you this season with their performance. Um, you know, you, there's a lot of players that have come, especially we talked about the defensive line. We just want to hear, you know, anything that's maybe surprised you so far this season. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about surprise, but I've been impressed. I mean, I, I guess based on what he'd done before, you could say I'm impressed with what Hassis Dubois has done. But I think we started seeing in the spring, you know, what he's capable of and then really saw it in training camp, you know, at the practices during that. I mean, he really stepped into a bigger role on the offense. He's He's been more mature, which had really been the thing holding him back, just some of his decision-making on the field and off the field. But he's he he's a really talented player. I mean, he's, he's 6'3", 215, big, strong, good hands. He can block. I mean, he's probably he's not the fastest player on the team, but he knows how to get open. You know, Zane Zandier, I think, has been a revelation at inside linebacker. You know, you could look at him early on and see that he was a, a big, fast, athletic kid, and he came in with good credentials. But, you know, he, ha- he hadn't really done anything until this year. Charles Snowden has become kind of the consistent every down player that the coach and staff wanted to see you know as a true freshman last year he had some impressive moments and and showed flashes of of what he could do but he didn't do it play in play out and he he didn't really you know have the opportunity to do that so you know he's been great Bryce Hall we knew was good but I think he's taken his game to another level higher Juan Thornhill kind of the same thing I mean we knew those guys were good but the secondary has been outstanding Joey Blunt you know, there was a lot of buzz around him inside the program last year when, you know, and he didn't get a lot of playing time because Quinn Blanding was out there. But, uh, you know, Joey's done really well. Darius Bratton's done really well. You know, young guy at cornerback. So, and I think all over the field, there have been players stepping up, which has been great to see. Darius Bratton, my Roanoke guy. <laughs> Love yeah, that. Exactly. <laughs> and with that, I think that kind of wraps it up. Uh, Jeff, just one quick thing. Anything in particular you're looking for against North Carolina with the next week before we let you go? I think it's important to be able to continue to run the ball well. I mean, that, that's been a little bit up and down this season. You know, I think they're running better this year than they did last year. But I just think that that opens so many things up on offense if you can run the ball effectively uh it's going to make the rest of the offense that much better if if the running game is being stuffed you can still find ways to win but it's it's harder to do so so you know the offensive line has slowly been improving as coach Mendenhall points out it's it's not a dominating line at this point but it's making progress. So uh, hopefully that continues. And, uh, you know, I I just I hope we see more of the same for what we're doing. But it, it, it's really fun to, to watch a team get better, you know, particularly when it kind of it happens incrementally. I think fans would love to go from two to ten, two and ten to ten and two. But I, I don't know if that's realistic. So, you know, it's just it's fun to see the progress taking place. Awesome stuff. Jeff White of VirginiaSports.com, folks. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. All right, are you guys uh one question, are you guys wearing ties when you record this? Uh we not not usually <laughs> but but we could start. It could be our shtick. It could be your say. Well, I'm not wearing one either, but thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much. Absolutely. We really enjoyed it. All right. See you guys. All right, that was Jeff White, VirginiaSports.com. Thanks to Jeff for coming on the podcast. A lot of great stuff and a lot of great insight that he has that's really unique kind of in the Virginia athletics community yeah he's like right there so he travels with the team he knows everything so I think it's really good to get it like another insight because he was saying like 
the the teams talking about this the the players are talking about this and that's not something that you know we can watch everything and see what what we see and say what we say but we can't really feel what the coaches are actually thinking so it's really neat to get that kind of insight and one thing i feel like the biggest message from that conversation was what's kind of hard for us to do is temper expectations right. you know we're talking about <laughs> God, I can't help but look ahead to that Virginia We're Tech game. We're already saying ACC championship game. We're already <laughs> saying it. I can't help but look ahead. But, <laughs> you know, I guess the reality is we are 5-2, and two, more games to be played. And he's absolutely right. North Carolina has played some games very close. They absolutely mm-hmm. should have beat Virginia Tech. And they probably should have beat Syracuse last week yeah. as well. So I'm really excited for that game. I think it'll be a good game. I also hope that we just keep up the same progress we've seen uh especially you know against duke yeah unc's had a tough go of things in the past couple of weeks but they're they're an okay team and we are playing at home which is good and jeff was saying like fans are probably not going to come out like they did for the miami game i'm hoping it's a little bit better than the, like the 35 40 000 range that we've tended to get for these kind of acc games over the past couple of years i just think it's so much better when there's a lot of people there a lot of people there. Yeah. You know, obviously you want that, but at the same time, you got to build up something. And that's one thing. That's really what I look at this next couple weeks at. We said, you know, there's optimism, but there's also opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Virginia, with the way they played last year, with the way they're playing this year, they've kind of established themselves as a middle of the pack ACC mm-hmm. team. So now the next step is how high can you rise? And there's opportunities on this schedule to keep moving up. You know, North Carolina, Pitt, Liberty. That's a big three-game stretch. Yeah. You know, they're not all sexy opponents, if you will. Um, Just kind of the way the Coastal has shaken out. But there's a big, big opportunity there. And, you know, we've received votes. The AP poll came out uh, earlier today. Today's Mm -hmm. Sunday for us. And Virginia got enough votes to be 31st. Win against North Carolina, maybe a win against Pittsburgh. You can start looking at us and maybe the top 25 poll. Right. And, and that's so weird to think about. Do you know the last time we were ranked in the AP poll? I mean, it's gotta be 2011. I would think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mike London's first year yeah you know yeah. the little glimmer of hope we got 2011 <laughs> and, that, and that big contract extension too. <laughs> those uh, were the glory days man. yeah the mike rocco years oh god the all orange unis oh those were nasty bring them back. those were disgusting bring them back anyway i think i think it is important to i like looking ahead and i like being excited for the season but i think it is important to temper our expectations because we could have as jeff was saying we could have very easily let that duke game get away from us but the defense really stood up and I was proved wrong as a UVA fan. Yeah, you know, my UVA fan instincts kicked in. I said, "Oh no, here it goes. <laughs> it's all gone." But to their credit, they stuck it out. They played a really good. They finished the game, and I'm looking. I'm looking at these next three games, especially our next three home games against UNC, Pitt, Liberty, and I see a lot of good that can yeah. come from those. If we can get out of there eight and two, that's going to look really good going into Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. Yeah, I'll tell you, on offense, I think Jeff hit it right on the head, things to look for, you know, being able to run the ball Mm -hmm. and also trying to get more explosive plays, which I think ties into Tavares Kelly a little bit, ties into Alamade a little bit, just trying to get more explosion in the offense. On defense, I look at it and I see, I want to see more from the pass rush. And we're starting to see like a little bit more, you know, Chris Pease had a little bit of his coming out party this season with two and a half sacks yesterday. 
Charles Snowden, while he hasn't gotten to the quarterback maybe as much as we would have liked, he's gotten some great pressures and he's also played way better than I ever would have expected against the run continuing to develop that defensive line and continuing to get that pass rush I think is one thing I'm really looking for in this stretch and then on special teams man we were so close yesterday to breaking a couple returns you know Mm -hmm. Joe Reed had a great kickoff return to start the game Mm -hmm. which led to that opening drive touchdown and even a little bit of trickery in the return game you know lining up Chuck Davis and Tavares Kelly back there. Each of them had great returns. Tavares Kelly had 72 yards on two returns. Chuck Davis had 27 on another. I want to see a touchdown from that return game because those are just so much fun, so electrifying. Those are really kind of like the big three things in each phase of the game I'm looking for over the next three weeks. Yeah, they even fooled the cameraman like every single (laughs) punt. The camera work was awful. Yeah, I mean, you only see those type of returns on TV. The right. ones where it's like, oh, he's oh, Tavares he's is going to catch then, it, but then, then Chuck Davis, oh, he's over oh, there. The ball's over there. Hold on. Where is it at? Yeah. Yeah, I like what you said about the, the rushing. I think we really do have to keep the rushing game up. But I think it's interesting because, you know, Jordan Ellis got hurt uh, right before the second half ended. Bryce Perkins only had around 60 yards rushing uh, overall. He did have two touchdowns, which is great. But a lot of other guys stepped up. You know, P.K. Kyra stepped up. Atkins stepped up. I think it's a good opportunity for some of those people to keep going. We didn't have a rusher who had over six, uh, 60. Bryce Perkins had 61 yards a total with the sacks included. But the other rushers didn't have over 55. So I think it's interesting that our offense is becoming a little bit more balanced than it used to be. You know, it used to, we were thinking, oh, we got to rush the entire game to really win. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, Bryce Perkins had 198 yards passing uh, to set. There's seven different receivers who caught a ball, including Bryce Perkins. So (laughs) uh, I I think um, I like the balance that has come with our offense. And And, I'll I'll tell you, you know, Jamar Peacock caught Mm -hmm. a pass, which is awesome. Yeah. God, I'd love to see him get a big guy touchdown. Mm -hmm. That'd be so much fun. And you listen to the quotes, you read these quotes that Bronco says about P.K. Kyer. Mm-hmm. You know, the way he talks about Jordan Ellis is the same way he talks about P.K. Kyer. Mm-hmm. You know, there. hopefully Jordan Ellis comes back. I don't think his ankle injury was anything too serious, you mm-hmm. know. But the guys in his place, Chris Sharp had a great run. P.K. Kyer had some nice runs. You know, even Lamont Atkins had a carry that went, what, I think 12 yards. So mm-hmm. there's depth. And, you know, that leads into the same thing we were talking about earlier before we started recording is... I mean, Devontae Cross, I almost feel bad for the guy the way he's had to switch positions so many times. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, in a critical drive there, he was back at safety after playing wide receiver the first six, seven weeks of the season. Yeah. So there's storylines, man. There's a lot of storylines we can continue to follow. Yeah. The one thing, I, one other thing I want to bring up is uh, Brian Delaney, our kicker. And he, in the first half, he had a rough first half. You know, he missed that 33-yarder. In the second quarter, he missed it pretty bad too. Mm-hmm. Uh, hooked it right, and then he missed that fifty-one yarder uh, in rainy conditions. Also hooked it really far right. Um, I think it had enough air under it, but just no accuracy on that. But then he made two really important field goals in the third quarter. Um, one from thirty-seven, one from forty-two. A lot. I think a lot of people were really nervous during the third and fourth quarter, especially uh, because we missed those two field goals early on. But I think it's important to look at it and say, all right, he had three huge field goals against Miami. He missed a bad one from 33, but once again, it was raining. The 51-yarder, I'm not upset about. Clock was expired, rainy conditions, new kicker. I mean, that's a tough kick. But he made 
a 42-yarder in the third quarter. That is huge. We haven't had a kicker who could kick a 40-yard field goal for in a long time. A really long time. Long time. <laughs> a too long. I guess Ian Fry was the last guy. Yeah. That was like five years ago. Yeah. You know, I think he's doing a good job uh, with his kicking. He's doing great on kickoffs. You know, he, he had five touchbacks out of six kickoffs yesterday. Um, so I think I think it's important to keep his confidence up and also keep giving it to him in those situations. You know, I think with the the one in the second quarter, I think some people were wanting Bronco to go for it on fourth down because we were right there. Our defense was doing good, uh, but it didn't happen. So, you know, it is what it is. Lucky he didn't come back to bite us, but that's what I'm going to be one thing I'm looking at. Definitely. What's one thing you're looking at just against North Carolina? You know, Jeff White mm-hmm. said the rushing game, just continuing that. What's one thing you want to see next week? Yeah, I want to see the defensive line uh, continue to get pressure on the quarterback. They did a really good job. Uh, or uh, Just the front seven getting uh, pressure on the quarterback. We had four sacks, and I think that's a really important thing to keep our secondary and help them out because our secondary is great, but we can't, you know, we're they're a great unit. So any more pressure on the quarterback that they can get is awesome. Yeah. What about you? Score early, score fast. You know, I want to keep momentum going. And that was one thing that was huge this week is that we never played from behind. You know, it was 7 nothing, and then it was 14 nothing. Um, And this team, unlike teams past we've seen with Virginia, seems comfortable playing with the lead. They seem like a team that being in the lead doesn't scare them. You know, they're not more prone to mistakes just because they're up. You know, knock mm-hmm. on wood, Bryce Perkins hasn't had these back-breaking interceptions that we're so used to seeing oh virginia is up by a touchdown in the third quarter oh there's that interception we've been waiting for Mm -hmm. you know we haven't seen that so i think score early score fast keep the momentum going this is a team and a game where virginia should be favored let's play like we're favored and let's really just take care of business you know you know winning winning next week and winning against Pitt and winning against liberty all of those are they would be good wins, but they would especially be bad losses. Mm-hmm. So I think avoiding those bad losses is something that we really got to focus on as a team. Just continue the momentum, man. This yeah. is not a linear path we're going up, but mm-hmm. there's a path that could look pretty linear if we keep winning these games. So I think we're all excited for North Carolina, yeah. South's oldest rivalry. Yeah. Always great games. Uh, and, you know, now we finally won one again last year. Mm-hmm think we'll see if we can win one next week yeah hopefully so hopefully so but i think that's about it for us today rob do you have any uh yells that we you want to give before we end yeah you know there's a lot of shout outs we could give across the football team one thing that some of y'all might have seen and i hope everyone will see at some point is the block that the cease dubois mm-hmm. threw on this duke receiver yes, crossing sir. over the middle it was a run play i think and it's just one of the greater things he sees us tied up on another block just throws his shoulder out there. And that Duke player went flying into there the same way Daniel Jones did he, when Jordan Mack hit him two years ago. He went like five yards. He, yep. he actually, he leaves his feet and his feet go above his head. It's really a sight to see. I, I don't have a good link to a video, but... It's one of the more incredible things you'll see from this team. <laughs> it's it's really like funny. it's just like it shouldn't happen. I don't understand how physics work that uh, way. It looks like a cartoon. Like, <laughs> he just goes flying. It's really funny. The it's C's, really funny. he's really developed as a receiver. Mm-hmm. But he's a big guy too. And yeah, I love I love a good receiver block. He will out take there. you out. He'll take you out. <laughs> what uh, do you think of Dustin? I love that, but I I I love uh, Chris Taylor on the Dodgers who made a fantastic catch. 
yesterday during the uh, Game 7, and they're going to the World Series now. So congrats to him. Congrats to the Dodgers, I guess. I'm not a huge baseball <laughs> guy, but um, Chris Taylor is doing really well for them. He, he, he can hit the home runs, but his catch yesterday, I think, really uh, helped propel them to the World Series. So good for him. Good all for right, him. man. Old, old UVA baseball guy. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. We yeah. care about all sports here. You know, I like UVA baseball, but I, I don't have a M- MLB team, and I don't neither do I. <laughs> I don't know the rivalries and stuff there. So, but I do know Chris Taylor. Go who's man. Go who's. So with that, I think that wraps up our episode. Remember, oh, Dustin's so good at the sign off thing. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. I think. <laughs> yeah, man. Follow us on Twitter at Guys and Ties Pod. Follow us on Snapchat at Guys and Ties Pod. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and Podbean if you want to keep listening. And it's good to be back. It's always good to be back. We took a week off for some injuries, but we're back in a big way. So go who's, baby. Go who's. Go to hell, Carolina. (laughs) 